So there's a lot of nuance, but I think it starts with just listening really hard, but just kind of diffusing that I'm the closer, right? Like, let's get this done. Cause that's, that's not really what I'm trying to do. Welcome to the Resilient Recruiter Podcast. This is your host, Mark Whitby, and I am super excited to be joined today by Somer Hackley. Somer's been in recruiting for 20 years, the last 14 of which are in executive search. In 2020, she launched her own firm called Distinguished Search. Based in Austin, Distinguished Search is a retained search firm specializing in C-level VP and director roles within technology, engineering, data, product, and digital. Having worked for some of the biggest executive search firms in the world, Somer wanted to work with fewer clients and offer more personalized services. Somer is the author of the new book, Search in Plain Sight, got my copy right here, Demystifying Executive Search, which was published in June. I've actually known Somer for uh, coming up for two, in fact, more than two years, and I've been asking her to come on the podcast forever. So I'm so happy we're finally doing this. Somer, thank you for being here. Thank you for the intro, and it's great to be here. And I've wanted to come on the podcast. I'm just, the timing is right now. So thank you. I'm pumped for the conversation. Great. I'm pumped too. So first of all, huge congratulations. Congratulations on becoming a published author and a mother in the same month. Yeah. Yeah. The uh, <laughs> the countdown was on, you know, when they, they said the due date for the book, and then I found out later the due date for the baby, <laughs> like what's first. And so... Yeah, it's uh, it was a lot of work, and uh, luckily the book came out a week before the baby, so that I could focus as I needed to on uh, on my son when he was born. Absolutely amazing! So um, Connor is three months now. Three months, or? yeah. Wow, yeah, he's smiling. He's tracking us with his eyes. It's really cool. Really cool. Amazing, amazing. That's. Uh, yeah, becoming a parent. I everyone always tells you it's the best thing and it changes your life and so on, but until you actually experience it, it you can't really describe to someone else like what that what that's like. So yeah. um so I've read this book. It's fantastic. People should check it out on Amazon or wherever you buy books. Uh search in plain sight. And to be honest, I read the chapters where you interviewed me first and then I went back and read the other, the rest of the book, but so chapters for people listening, chapter six and 14, <laughs> you'll see, you'll see me mention. My kids were pretty impressed that I was in an actual book. So thank you for the, uh, the kudos from the uh, kids. That's hard to get these days. Yeah. Well, thanks for being in it. I, when I was thinking, you know, what sort of experts, expert opinions would I like to have in the book? Cause I didn't want the book just to be myself. So boxing about here's what recruiting is, everyone. I know everything, you know? So I reached out to candidates and clients and internal exec recruiters and my peers. And I thought someone like you or, you know, you know all of these excellent recruiters. So why not just go right to the source and ask you what your opinions are? You can kind of compilate all the conversations you've had. So thank you for being a part of it. Oh, well, I'm honored. And it really, I mean, the research you put into this is phenomenal. Like so many case studies and quotes from a whole variety of interesting people. It's really, really good. I know it's aimed at executive executives who are looking to make a change in their career, but I think you'll probably get a lot of recruiters reading it as well. Um, really. And because it's so it like just reading it, any recruiter is going to relate so much to what you're saying and the examples and uh, although it's written from like a client and candidate perspective. So mm -hmm. 
Yeah. So we'll, well, we'll get into that. But first of all, tell me the story of how you got into recruiting. Yeah. So I wanted to go into sales and I didn't really know that for a while, but finally I settled on that after many internships that were very boring. And, and so it was 2002. I applied to every single sales job I could find on monster.com and in the newspaper and, and that sort of stuff. And I, and I was in Boston at school at the time. And so I had a friend and we would, you know, we'd like every other Friday, we'd cut class and just interview in New York. Cause I'm from New York and wanted to work in New York. So on Fridays, I would just interview for all these sales jobs. And that's how I found recruiting. I was like, you know what, of all the things to sell, I love this human element to it. So I didn't deliberately look for recruiting, but I deliberately look for sales. And then this seemed to be the best fit. And then stories from there. Do you know what? I, that sounds very familiar, that story, because I knew I wanted to be in sales as well, but did, I didn't even know about recruiting actually yeah. until you start looking for your first job and then, you know, or my first real job, you know, and um, started going to see recruiters and go, hey, I, that looks like something I could do actually. And uh, of course, it's harder than it looks from the outside, but um, yeah. Hilarious. So you were the top performer or a top performer at two global executive search firms. You had very high personal production, plus you managed a team. But from reading your book, I know it wasn't always a bed of roses. Could you say a little about the pressure that that kind of environment brings and how it affected you? Sure. I mean, uh, <laughs> root canals, you know, that, that kind of stuff, but like literally. <laughs> but, oh my goodness. Uh, yeah, it's stressful, right? Like I've had friends that, that just say like, why is your job so hard? Or why is it so stressful? Like, I just don't get it. You're just helping people get jobs. It's like, that's that's not what I do <laughs> at all. So I guess if you think about like the first five, six years of my career were in contingency and the rest were in, you know, big retained exec search, the pressures are all kind of different. But in contingency, you know, you've got your at least back, back when I did it, like your numbers printed on the wall and your boss looking at how many lights are on the, cause we had those big phones with all those lights, you know, and it would show if you were on the phone or not on the phone. And if it was dark, you'd be like, why is no one on the phone? You know, And so just this constant pressure. And, you know, if a candidate had another offer, didn't take your offer, it was your fault, right? Like you failed. What's wrong with you? And that kind of pressure is just so hard because I took it all so personally and I'm a perfectionist. And it's like, I just, what else can I do? I can't make people do stuff. I can't make people see my people. And we had all these rules, like we're not allowed to send resumes without the client committing to interviews. And so it was really hard and contingency with all of that. And just, you know, avoid HR and don't get the fee done until after they've met a candidate and just all kinds of rules that I had to abide by that were just so stressful all the time. And just, you know, I was just, I just knew I was on the chopping block, you know, whenever, whenever management would meet in the conference room, they'd come back, we'd all look at each other on the team and be like, all right, guys, it was great knowing you, you know, just, just that kind of thing. <laughs> and then, you know, in, 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 and I did well, right. But it was just a lot of pressure. And then on the, um, the retained side, you know, it's whether, you know, I grew up associate director and then turned into more of a BD partner kind of person leading relationships and the pressures are all different along the way. You know, when you're more junior, you have a partner on the phone saying, oh yeah, well, we will get you three candidates by Wednesday, Mr. Client. And I'm looking around like, do you, do you have three candidates? Like, I do not have three candidates. I can't make candidates. So then you have to, you have to go do it, you know, make it happen. And, you know, we just told the client we would do it. And so that kind of pressure and 
that was something. And then, you know, as a revenue producer, you've got these targets that you have to hit every month and just constant conversation. Then you're like, what do I do? Do I focus on the work I have on my desk staring at me? Do I go look for new work to hit these numbers? But if I can only fill all these roles, it would hit the numbers anyway. And so it's all angles. Long answer, but there's a lot. There's a lot, as you know. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I think everyone will relate to what what you've just said. So all of that leading up to you launched your own firm in 2020. What? Tell me why you launched your own f- business, Distinguished Search. Sure. And it was hard to do this. I Meaning the decision. You know, I thought about it for about three years. I kept talking to my boss saying, okay, I really want to do this. Let me go do this. Here's like six months notice, you know? And he's like, no. Like, what are you doing? I'm like, okay, I'll just stay. You're right. I'll just stay because <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't a counter offer. It was just a conversation. And I had recruiters under me that I loved. I had clients that I loved. I knew I'd have a non-compete. There's a risk I'd lose all of them. And so, but what it really came down to as, as I got more and more senior, I became more of the face of the work versus doing the work. And I know a lot of senior folks don't actually like recruiting. Maybe I'm weird that I love recruiting. Like, I love the treasure hunts of identifying the person, of them coming back to you and being like, yeah, let's talk, of then the conversation, and then they're great for the role, and you get all excited, and you talk to the client about them, and all of that. And when I was more senior, you can dive in, right? You can dive in and help out with an offer. You can dive in at certain points, and then you talk to the client like you've known the candidate the whole time, but you really haven't, you know? And so that kind of felt you know, just not authentic to me. And you know, why be the face of 30 searches when I can just run three and just love them all and do the work. So that was that was really the intention behind it. Interesting. All right. That's not what I expect you to say, but that's so interesting. Um, but you also relocated. At the, was that at the same time as launching the business or? It was just coincidental. But okay. uh, yeah, my husband and I were in, I'm from New York, but then I was in DC. That's where I met Steve, my husband. And we were just talking and he was like, you know what? You want to get out of here? Like, sure. And he went to school here and we went to South by Southwest. He's like, let's move to Austin. Like, okay. (laughs) So he launched his job search and found something here. And so that, you know, that just catapulted into doing this and yeah, getting married and launching my firm all around the same time. That's so cool. Amazing. So um, what do you feel most proud of looking back over the last couple of years, you know, that you, since you, you went out on your own? Yeah, let's see. So I think just in general, the the ability to do new things and just being able to find like have the confidence that I can just do it. Like I had a client that uh, reached out to me and said, I, I'd like to create a digital board of directors. And I said, what's that? She's like, I don't know. Like, okay. And so I said, I've never done that before. She's like, that's cool. You can do it. We'll figure it out. I'm like, okay. If you think I can do it, I can do it, sure. And so that was kind of cool and just learning that. And it it was a good, you know, probably year of work of defining it, meeting with all her directs, figuring it all out, identifying who should be on the board, getting them on the board, and then creating the board, being in the meetings, creating agendas, like totally different than, of course, I'm still doing retained search, filling jobs, right? Filling positions. But it's really cool to be able to learn something brand new still, you know, having done this for 20 years. That's, that is cool, but I still don't understand what is a digital board. <laughs> yeah, it ended up, so it's a digital advisory board. It was for a big, okay. big, big tech company. 
and it was supporting the head of digital who reports under the chief marketing officer. And it's a group of four really, really high performing, awesome folks from different industries. So they can bring their expertise to this big behemoth company and saying, here's what we do from a you know digital sales flow perspective or how we analyze you know xyz and so there are all these different perspectives that they could bring since they didn't come from the same industry and they spoke with with her and then her directs uh every couple months and they would just bring you know different problems to them that they were going through and just getting their thoughts on it so it's kind of like your your advisors you know your you know your consultants that are there just to to help you and then they just created kind of one-on-one relationships with people and it was really fun it, it sounds fun, but it also sounds like a tangent, like it takes you way over here. Um, is, is that counterproductive to like growing your search practice or is it synergistic? It's synergistic because to find the advisors for the board, I knew that if I called anyone and said, do you want to be on this digital advisory board? They say, yes, please. So in right. order to find the okay. people, I only sourced really, really, really big people. And so I can go to these people with this message of, hey, I've been retained by this big behemoth tech company to create their first ever digital board of director, digital advisory board. Who do you know? Like, who reports to you? Who's your favorite direct report that you would love to give this opportunity to that they can be on this board? And then so the boss could look really good to their team. I'm getting a good high profile message out there of the kind of stuff I do, the people I know. And so it was really a great excuse to reach out to some awesome people and source them and of course, then when you're talking to them, you're plugging what you do and, you know, it's, it's, there's a lot more to it. So versus just thinking of it as a finite project. Uh, okay. I totally get it now. And this is, is this one of, does this fall under your heading of business development by not doing business development? Yes. Yes. That's, that's, I okay. do BD. You can either say it's a hundred percent of the time or zero percent of the time, depending on, you know, depending on how you're looking at it. Well, let Let's dive into that then, since we we seem to be going in that direction. So you've talked to me before about BD by not doing BD. So what does that mean? Yeah, so BD, business development. So traditionally, the way I was taught or what I've seen was you create a list of companies. You say, I want to work with these companies or I want to work with these industries or whatever it is. And then you start emailing the head of executive search, head of HR, CTO, CEO, whoever, and say, hey, can we talk? Can we have a meeting? I'm going to be in your town. You know, how about we meet when I'm there? That sort of thing. And so that was my strategy for a few years. And it just, it worked horribly for me. It was really bad. Like I just, you know, I'm casual. I show up I'm like, hey, you know, like, can I, what do you want to talk about? Like I have an agenda, but it's just so obvious. Like, look at all the great things I do. Like, I, I'm not good at that conversation. So I scrapped that when I went on my own. Like, maybe I tried it for a month. I'm like, why am I doing this? It never worked for me before. I'm not doing it again. Like, I'm in Austin. You are too. Like, no, it doesn't work for me. So, so instead, I came back to, I work with people. I don't work with industries. I don't work with companies. I don't create a list of companies. I work with people people move to companies and I work with them. And so I just reach out to people. And I think every time I'm talking to a person, this could be a client in three months. It could be a client in five years. So how do I position this conversation so that when that role opens, they think of me for that, you know, and that's all I want. I want to be in their head when they open that role, whenever it is, it could be, you know, we need a C-level, we need a data person, a tech person, engineering person. Ah, I know a recruiter who does that because it's very archaic how people think of which search firm to use. They either 
go to Google, which my friend did, you know, one of the big firms told me that she gets a lot of leads just from I Googled you. And here you are, one of the top five firms. Of course, I'll call you, right? So people know the big ones or they just ask their friends, Who, what's a good recruiter? You know, it's very archaic. So the more that I can do to be in the conversation and just be in their head, you know, then, then that's, that's what I do all the time. I love the philosophy and for sure, like, especially um, at senior level, people could be clients or candidates, and, but people are people regardless of which, um, you know, which of those areas they happen to be in at any given time in their life cycle of their career. Um, but so tell me more about this when you're saying you reach out to people and you want to position yourself so they remember you when they do have a search. Like what, what does that look like, sound like, feel like? Yeah. So most of my clients fall into three buckets. So one would be candidates that I placed and now they're hiring. Mm -hmm. The second would be candidates that I didn't place and now they're hiring. So I mm -hmm. had sent them on interviews and they didn't get the job through me, but they landed somewhere else and mm -hmm. they loved the process so much that they want mm -hmm. to go through that with their candidates or mm -hmm. it's HR execs, internal recruiters that have moved companies and now brought me along as the relationship. And, and those are the buckets. And so whenever I have a candidate in process, I, I tell them this, say most of my clients are people like you. So wherever you land, you know, I hope we can work together. You know, I hope you're having a good experience like with feedback, with prep, with all this kind of stuff. They're like, absolutely, you know, and lo and behold, they land and then they call. And yeah, I love that. And I love when they land through another search firm, but then call me to fill their jobs. And, you know, it's, it's interesting, but I think at the end of the day, we can separate ourselves with like feedback and prep and all that kind of stuff pretty easily. Are you worried about keeping your recruitment firm up to date with the latest technology? After all, your clients expect you to be ahead of the curve. But how do you select the right tech for your recruitment firm and make sure that you earn enough new business as a direct result to make back the cost of your investment? Which is why our friends at iIntro provide in-depth coaching alongside their technology to help you get the most out of your investment. They offer an extensive suite of tools, but let's just take one example, their behavioral assessment tool. It's built right into their online system, so you don't have to buy or learn a whole new platform. They also include training on how to use behavioral assessments to improve your pitching technique, while also increasing the longevity of your placements to a staggering 96% after 12 months. For a free demo of iIntro's suite of recruitment tools, including behavioral assessment, just go to recruitmentcoach.com forward slash retained. Remember, when you engage with our sponsors, you also help support this podcast. Just go to recruitmentcoach.com forward slash retained, then follow the instructions to get started. Let's let's talk more about that then. Because, so <clears throat> what I'm interpreting from what you're saying, Somer, is that um, a, you know, a lot of your clients were candidates originally. Mm-hmm. And either you placed them or or you didn't, but they enjoyed working with you. And so they prefer to partner with you when they are looking to grow their teams. Mm -hmm. um, so does that mean that your initial uh, outreach to somebody is from the perspective of let's talk about your career? Or let's talk about a specific opportunity or like what would be the content of that 
email, LinkedIn message, call or whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's interesting because I keep hearing on all the podcasts I listen to, yours and others, to to not go after just one opportunity, make it about the career. And and I, I honestly, I don't do that at all. It's, it's about the opportunity. And I say, here's an opportunity. It's at this company. Let's talk about it. And, but the thing is like, I find that people respond to that because they, they will respond because they want to hear more about that opportunity. I don't know if people want to talk to everyone about their career. So once they're on the phone, I started out bigger hey, of course I reached out to you about an opportunity, but this is really about a long-term relationship. And this might not be right for you. If it is awesome, if not, you know, let's just chat. And, you know, maybe there's something else that could, is, you know, that could fit you next month or in three years, you know? And I, I started out that way because it's true. Like whenever I kick off a search, I always look back, what search did I work on before that was similar to this search? Let me call those people first, right? So it's, it's all very genuine and, and it's true. It's, it's so I'm not trying to shoehorn anyone to anything. And then I, I always start the call with that and then I pitch the role and then they react and then we can take it whichever way from there. And so I do kind of start it big, then go back to small and then go back whichever way it goes, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, totally. That's cool. It's good to, um, to hear your strategy on that. And so when you are, so you're pitching a specific role um, and it sounds like you're quite um, transparent in your messaging about who you're representing, what it's all about. It's not mysterious. And what's what's your rationale for that? Sometimes I I say the company name if okay. if it's if the person was referred or mm -hmm. if the company doesn't require further explanation, but. Mm -hmm. I'd say 90% of the time I don't say the company name, but I say okay, I say uh, a lot about the company and about the role that that specific yeah. candidate base would likely be interested in learning more about. They usually kind of figure out what company it is, but mm -hmm. and that's fine. But it's the reason I don't always say the company name is not because my clients are a secret. If they reply and say, what's the company? I'll tell them in two seconds. But it's mm -hmm. because I like to work with companies that are going through a journey and it's not obvious what they're doing. Mm. And if you just hear their name, you'll just jump to a conclusion. And I want the opportunity to tell the story. And it's hard to do that when you say a company name and they go on the website, you're like, oh, well, of course the website's not great. That's why they want to fill the role. <laughs> you know? Right. So, like there is a transformation happening. Do you want to be a part of it? And so I just want to kind of avoid the conclusion jumping as much as I can and just hop for a, you know, up for a call. But, um, but that's usually how I approach it. Awesome. I love that. And so is there anything else that falls under the heading of BD by not doing BD? Oh, let's see. I can think of something that yeah, you do, do that you haven't mentioned what? yet. But all my posting on LinkedIn, that's that's all the time. And that's actually just me waving at everyone saying, I'm alive. <laughs> and, and, you know, because I post for usually the job seeker community, because that's what people are interested in reading, I I think. And because there's a lot of what's in it for me with with LinkedIn posting. Um, mm -hmm. And that's just what I've learned about just content and that sort of thing. And so I post a lot of that and then it'll give people a moment to pause and they'll reach out and all of that. But people will reach out to me, people I know. It's really not a lot of, of getting introduced to new people through the content. It's just staying top of mind with people that already know me because then they'll open a role and be like, you know what? You were in my LinkedIn feed all the time. Like, how are you? And yeah, we have this role that's open. So all my posting is usually 
for that reason. And then it's fun, right? And you get the endorphins and all that. And I have a good time with it. But but uh, yeah. <laughs> you do a great job on LinkedIn, Somer. And uh, so people should check out Somer Hackley on LinkedIn um, and the content you post. It's It's one of the first things that we get our coaching clients doing is lev- either starting to post consistently if they're not already, or number two, leveling up what they're posting, how they're doing it to, to get better results. It's the easiest type of content marketing you really can do. It doesn't cost anything. Um, it's just installing a habit like going to the gym or any other habit where, and the more you do it, you get on a roll and it becomes easier and you have more ideas. Um, so that's great, but you still haven't said the thing. So I'm just going to okay, say, what is it, it, which you is, say it. Uh, the distinguished two minutes. Oh yeah. That too. Which, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's so true. T- Correct. Talk about that because that's one of the first things when you and I connected on LinkedIn that I noticed that you were doing that I thought, hey, this is really good. Yeah. And uh, it's a simple idea. You've executed it really well and you've been consistent with it. Could you explain what you're doing with that? Yeah. Thank you. It's something that is in my head now every day that I'm back from maternity leave that I need to start that up again. And it's just one of the many things on my to-do list, but yeah, you know, it was interesting. So when I launched my firm, it was a month before COVID. So everything was awesome in February, 2020. And then it was horrible in March. Right. And so everyone started coming out with content, webinars, all kinds of stuff, podcasts. And I was thinking like, I really want a webinar or I really want a podcast. What should I do? And my approach, I guess, another BD without doing BD is whenever I am at one of these crossroads, I think, know who I should ask? All of my C-level friends, what should I do? And so I'll just reach out to folks and say, hey, I'm thinking about starting a webinar. What do you think? I'm thinking about starting a podcast. What do you think? Look at my new website. What do you think? And usually people will say, that's a terrible idea. Why don't you do this instead? And I say, thank you so much. You have more experience than I do in life and in business. So I appreciate your thoughts. And then we're all kind of building it together, which is kind of fun. And so how I landed on the two distinguished minutes video. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Yeah, yeah. You, you skipped over that really fast. And yeah. I don't know if people appreciate the nuance of what you just described. So there's, because there's layers to this. Number one, of course, it's genuine request for feedback from somebody whose opinion you value. But number two, it's a reason to get back in touch with somebody and remind them of who you are and what you're doing and build rapport and further relationship. And so I would say that is another example of BD without doing BD, um, which is clever. So, okay, on to these things, two minutes. See, it's like, it's, yeah, it's all this stuff all day, all the time. And so, yes, and it's so fun, you know, reaching out to people that you haven't talked to in a year or so saying, Hey, look at my new website. And then or look at my new logo. And then they, they write back and just tell you one person told me that my website was so terrible that, and he created the app for a fortune 100 company. So he's correct, right? Like he knows. And so he actually took the time to mock up a better website for me with some of my stuff and sent me a oh, screenshot gosh. and he was like, do this. And I did. That's why my website looks so good. I did it by myself because I had nothing to do in the beginning of COVID. And so I learned Wix and all this. And so I was like, thank you so much. Look at it now. And then it was just anyway. So yeah. So with the two minute videos that I do with my network, I was, um, I hopped on a zoom with two women that I've known for a long time, a, a chief digital officer and a COO. And they're like, let's help you. And I introduced them to each other. Like, we want to help you with this thing. And so we just chatted on a Zoom about my webinar or podcast situation or question. 
And then we came up with, you know, no one wants to listen to long things other than your podcast, Mark. I honestly do listen to the entire <laughs> podcast. It's like, I'm driving to daycare listening to your podcast. I hope that Connor doesn't mind. <laughs> but he's talking so much, I feel like he might have that sales itch in him anyway. He's trying to talk so badly, but side note. You're going to brainwash um, him from birth to it's give like, him I know all like the- personal development stuff in the car. <laughs> but, um, but anyway, so we came up with, look, it should be short. What should it be? Who should it be with? And, you know, what they really taught me was just like, think bigger. Like, who are the biggest people, you know, like you can get them on the podcast or on the video. You can get them. So go after them first. And so, I mean, I felt really crazy reaching out to some people that manage 12,000 people and, you know, just, hey, will you be on my new video series? You know, so and I made one for myself and it's really just um, answering the question, why do you do what you do? And it's a fun question because I find that we don't ask people that question a lot. People don't really have the answer right away. It actually causes them to really think. And then they have Mm -hmm. to wrap it up in two minutes. You know, the good news is we can, you know, as you know, you can edit it down to two minutes. We can take multiple takes. It's not a lot of pressure. But why do you do what you do? It's, It's a cool question to answer. And people love the opportunity to answer it publicly. And, and that was inspired by, uh, I was watching Simon Sinek's, um, video, you know, his TED talk. And I don't know how I never saw before 2020, but you know, I guess I never had time because of all the recruiting pressures we talked about earlier. And so when I launched my firm, I had time and I was absorbing all this recruiting content and someone had mentioned that TED talk and I listened to it and watched it. And I was like, that is an amazing thought process. And then I was like, why don't I ask other people? So that's how all that came to be. I love that. I didn't know that part. And, um, it's such a great book. I've got both. I've got Start With Why, and then yeah. I've got the workbook that's supposed to... But it's one of those concepts that is so powerful, but it's surprisingly difficult to articulate your why. And mm-hmm. um, But uh, even the attempt is, is, wor- is, is worthwhile and the yeah. thought process behind it. So, so the concept is you're approaching really uh, fantastic people, senior people, and you're not asking them to come on a podcast. You're asking them to record a very short two-minute video interview with you mm-hmm. to answer the question, what is your why? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why do you do and what then, you do? Yeah. And then I say, you can post this wherever you would like. Some of them have gone onto corporate websites or their own LinkedIn profile. And they post on LinkedIn. I post on LinkedIn. And, and as you know, I mean, that just increases my visibility too, right? And my credibility with folks. So, but it's also just super fun. Like, it's just so fun and I love it. And I love seeing the reactions that my guests get from their network. And it's just, it's really awesome. Because also a lot of people are kind of, they're not doing a lot of video content. So it's a good excuse Mm. or a reason for them to kind of get into it. And I find that when I see all the comments on their post, people are like, oh, it's so good to see you. And that just makes me really happy. I love this idea, Somer. It's uh, that is genius. Um, I mean, the fact that it's so short as well makes it really easy for people to say yes to you. Yeah. And the fact that you're helping, I mean, you're helping them with their personal brand as well, yeah. in effect, which senior people, I think, are more and more appreciating the importance of in terms of their own career trajectory. Um, and uh, yeah, I just think that's such a brilliant idea. So you're posting on LinkedIn. Are also, is it on your website as well, or uh, they're on the, YouTube? The there's a on link. YouTube, yeah. There's a link from my website. I have its own YouTube channel, but but every okay. time I 
and maybe I should spend more time on other platforms, mm-hmm. but I find that my time is so limited. And so yeah, I just doubled down on LinkedIn. I've tried tweeting, yeah, I've yeah. tried other things and it does like my audience is already on LinkedIn. So LinkedIn totally. is really where they get a lot of traction. Yeah. I think if you have a team and you, and or social media help from an agency or or you know then it makes sense to cover more channels but i think if it's just really you or a very mm-hmm. small team linkedin is really all you need to focus on um so that is super cool this episode is brought to you by recruitment entrepreneur recruitment entrepreneur are the number one investor in startup and scale up recruitment businesses globally They've now launched in the USA and are looking to partner with experienced recruiters who are ready to build something for themselves. Founded by James Kahn, they've already invested in 45 businesses. When I interviewed James in episode 123, he shared a case study of how they helped a recruiter to start, scale, and sell his recruitment company for $12 million in five years. That company is called Walter James and they were acquired by ZRG. Could you be their next success story? To learn more about Recruitment Entrepreneur in the USA or anywhere globally, go to recruitmentcoach.com forward slash VC. That's VC as in venture capital. Book a call with one of their investment directors and be sure to tell them that you were referred by me, Mark Whitby, at the Resilient Recruiter Podcast. Once again, visit recruitmentcoach.com forward slash VC. I'd love to ask you some questions just about your process, things that came up in the book and things that I I know about you from our prior conversations. Um, One is the idea of developing trust with people quickly. Um, You mentioned that in previous roles, you were more senior and your team members were actually finding the candidates, interviewing the candidates, prepping the candidates, and you would just dive in at the offer stage which I have not done it that way before. That sounds really hard because you're the most critical conversation you're going to have with the candidate and they've mm-hmm. not necessarily spoken to you before. How did you, how did you pull that off? Mm-hmm. And folks on my team were so good. And so they could do the whole thing end to end a lot of the time, but mm-hmm. sometimes it's just good to have another voice and, and they, they were awesome. Like, I just, I love the people that, that were on my team. Um, but yeah, every now and then you get a situation where just, you, you know, that something's going to just not end well, and you want to do everything you can proactively before all of that happens. Right. So I didn't know that I could dive in at the end, but I guess you just kind of you're in it. So you do it and you're like, oh, well, that's a new skill that I didn't know that could work. So I think it's similar to just talking to a candidate, you know, in the, in the first call, it's just, are you treating that as a one-time call or are you treating it as just really, really having the right intentions for everyone for now and for years to come? Right. Mm. And so people, it gets, it's, I think at the end of the day, that's how I really feel is that I'm never mm. going to shoehorn anyone to anything. I'm not going to make anyone do anything. I can't make anyone do anything. And I really want this to work for everyone. And, and it's in my best interest to place someone that wants the job as much as the client wants them and the money to make sense that they love it and they're excited. Right. And it's not so much that then the client is a little bit disgruntled with them and, you know, like everyone wants it to go well. Right. So 
our role, I, I think, is just really brokering information to make that happen versus hiding things or shoehorning people into things or selling or any of that. It's just what sort of information do you need and what sort of information can we get? And how do we go about getting that for you so that we don't just start igniting things accidentally? Because if you ask for the wrong thing at the wrong time, you know, it can just create all kinds of problems for no reason, right? So there's just a lot of nuance, but I think if you tell someone your intentions, they can, and it's true, right? I think they can hear your authenticity and your voice and, and just kind of, I don't know how any, I'm trying to think of any specific conversations that I had done that with, but just kind of starting it out and just being honest, right? Like, Hey, I've worked with this client for X number of years. I know them inside and out. I'm here to help. And if it's the right job for you, great. If not, great. You know, like, let's just figure this Mm -hmm. out. And just really then information gathering, a lot of listening, a lot of just tell me about, you know, your role today. Tell me about this role there. Why is this interesting? Then playing devil's advocate. So why is this interesting? Like, why don't you just stay? Like, really? You know? And if, if you're, are you up for promotion? Like, what if that happens? Like, does this make sense? And like, just thinking and listening a ton. And then you kind of take it from there wherever you need to. And with all of that information, you can either, you know, start really understanding what motivates that candidate and also talk to the client about those things too, because a lot of it is just, oh, we didn't even talk about that through the process. Okay, well, let's broker that conversation now, you know? So changing processes, inserting steps, adding conversations, adding additional meetings, talking about comp in a different way, all that kind of stuff. So there's a lot of nuance, but I think it starts with just listening really hard, but just kind of diffusing that I'm the closer, right? Like, let's, let's get this done. Cause that's, that's not really what I'm trying to do. That was brilliant. Somer. that it, like, if people just take that piece away from this podcast, I think that will be extremely valuable for people because <clears throat> the challenge I think oftentimes is getting people to like getting that real connection and getting people to open up to you when they know that we stand to gain by them making a certain decision. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, and as the process progresses and we get towards an offer, there starts feeling like there's potentially they could feel like they're under pressure. Right. 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 That we have an agenda and the, the, reaction to feeling pressurized is to withdraw, to close down and be less communicative. Um, I like the way you've just immediately diffused that by saying like, if this is the right job for you, great. And if it's not, then, then great. Let's just figure this out. And also almost by playing devil's advocate, you're almost, it seems like you're trying to talk them out of it a little Mm -hmm. bit. Mm-hmm. Or getting them to genuinely think about, is this right for you? How, what about this? Have you considered that? Like, what about your promotional opportunities where you are? So by taking that approach, then it really just diffuses the the tension. Mm-hmm. I love that. That's really good. Thanks. Yeah. And then with all that, you know, it's, 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 uh, I think in the past when I was more junior, I didn't want to ask mm-hmm. those questions right? You don't yeah. want to know like, oh, they should just stay. It's better. You know, like you just, you didn't want to know you're just hoping for the best. Right. And you're telling the right. client it's fine. Everything's great. They love you. And I just, now I'll just tell the client, I don't know. I'm 50, 50 on this. Let me tell you why. 
here's what might happen. Here's the best chance we have to get this person if we do X, Y, Z, but here's what I recommend. I think we still need to see more people. I still think we need to blah, blah, blah. And so I'm not changing anything. I'm just, I'm just providing more information. So everyone can just, just, just be calm and logical and figure it out. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. If it does great, we tried our hardest, but at the end of the day, I can't, you know, it was like what I said in the beginning with contingency. It was like, it's not my fault. Like I can't, but, but now at least I'm telling everyone like, look, here are all the things versus just hoping and praying and, and selling and, and, and that sort of thing. And, and yeah. the other thing I thought of when you were talking was, um, I'll just tell the candidate too, kind of my role and just what's happening in terms of other candidates. I'll say, look, you know, at the end of the day, if they make you an offer and you turn it down, I haven't, there's another candidate, the number two candidate who they might take another job. And then, you know, it's, it just kind of stinks for that person too. And for, you know, and so I, I'm just being honest and just telling them about the process and who's in play and like the ramifications of, of if this, then that, and the candidates mm-hmm. get it. Like they're, they're nice people. They're, they really do understand. And they're like, Oh, sometimes they'll say, well, they, they should offer it to number two candidate. And if you hear that, well then, okay, maybe they should. <laughs> right. Yes, but, absolutely. But at least we're kind of uncovering that. And I think the candidates um, will act a certain way if they know what's going on versus thinking that they're in this vacuum of, of just their process. Right. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. You know, I, on the subject of offers and, and managing offers, um, I think like I, I read a LinkedIn post today that 2022 is the year of the counteroffer, but actually it's, it's more than that. It's also Canada's getting multiple offers, competing offers, and your offer is one of three others that they're, they've got. And I'm just wondering, A, are you seeing that? But B, you know, how are you approaching that whole scenario? Yes. Yeah, I see it all the time. And I don't know if it's 2022. I feel like it's always been, but maybe that's me. I think great people are always getting multiple offers. And usually even if they're not looking and they're passive, the second a recruiter calls and ignites their thought process to look, they look and they should. And that's another thing I tell them is please start looking. I do not want you to get this offer and then sit there and think, shoot, if I'm going to leave this job, it's such a big deal. What else is out there? Like, I want you to have other things so you know, yes, this is the best role for me right now. So look at other things. Yes, yeah. like just do that. Now is the time to do that. You know, otherwise you take the job and a month later someone calls you and you're like, shoot, why did I take this job? And that's not what I want either, right? So, mm. so yeah, so when they, at, at the end of all my interviews, I just say, what else are you looking at? And if they say nothing, then they should. And if they say two things, I'm like, yeah, of, of course, of course you have two other companies in process. And I, I write that down. And as much as they'll tell me, right? Like, what are they? Do you like them? What sort of companies are these? And then I'm just listening again, you know, how does this compare to those as we're in feedback calls? But the other thing is like, whenever I'm talking to a candidate, the next time I always read my notes from the last time. So instead of mm-hmm. saying, you know, what else do you have? I say, cool. I know last time we spoke, you had a third round interview with this series B FinTech. How'd that go? You know? And so it's really just adding a lot more detail to those conversations. And it's just a lot easier to, you know, I have another thing coming on, but yeah, so they're getting multiple offers. And like I was saying earlier, I just know they're coming. Um, and I'll just tell the client, like I had a candidate yesterday that said, Hey, he had a first round interview and he has many more to go with this client. 
And I know he has two other companies he's talking to. He's really not looking that hard. And we spoke yesterday just more about compensation expectations and that sort of thing. And he's like, look, is there anything you can do to move this along faster? Because I know there's multiple steps, but right now it's, I'm talking to this person, then we're gonna get through that and then schedule the next person. He's like, is there any way to schedule multiple of these in advance? And so I just go to the client and say, hey, you know, he has two other opportunities. He's really interested in yours. Can we do this? Of course we can, right? So let's do that. And so the multiple offer thing will happen in a month, right? But we're kind of talking about it now. So it's not a big surprise when that happens later. Bingo. That, look, I think that is the key here, Somer, is um, we can't stop people from interviewing other places or, you know, what we can do is not have these surprises come right. up that we ha- we were ignorant about, right? And because if you know in advance what the real deal is, you can make different decisions. You can, you know, guide clients or cans differently and uh, just avoid the nasty surprise at the end of mm-hmm. it. But the key though, in order for them to open up to you and tell you what they're really thinking and doing is that trust that you mentioned earlier is Mm -hmm. gaining that trust where they are willing to put their cards on the table and say, yeah, I've got this, this, and this lined up Mm -hmm. less keen on this one. But to be honest, this other opportunity is looking really, you know, really exciting. And then at least, you know, what the reality of the situation is, and you're not pinning your hopes on something that, you know, there are, there are going to be obstacles to them, uh, accepting, um, there was something else I was going to ask you about, which is a lot. Since we're on this theme of, you know, managing uh, offers and, and process, I know that you're big on prepping clients for interview, and I feel like most recruiters are all over the candidate prep. I'm not saying they're necessarily consistently brilliant at it, but they're aware of the importance of. But fewer recruiters are focused on preparing the client for interview. Could you talk about that a little bit? Mm-hmm. So I'll take all of the feedback from the candidate. I'll make a nice feedback document for the client. And it just writes out, you know, what the candidate's thoughts are, of course, but also just what questions they need answered as they're evaluating if this opportunity makes sense for them. And so a lot of the time I'll send that, but also I'll have a follow-up call or a longer email or a text or, hey, you know, you're meeting this person tomorrow. They're very interested. But here are the three things they're really thinking about, especially as they're comparing this to the top five X company that they're interviewing with next week. And so please hit on these three things when you guys are talking so that he can or she can come out of this conversation thinking, okay, I got answers to those questions. And having that extra conversation or email or text or the clients, they're so appreciative because they want the same thing as we do. And I think what I try to prevent is someone showing up to an interview with a resume and just saying, Hey, tell me about yourself. It's like, Oh no, Oh no, we (laughs) we have done so much work to get here, you know? And so like, here's our opportunity to really impress this person. And, and, you know, through the process, the candidates interviewing, 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 but then at some point it flips. Right. And then the client is like, Oh, okay. We really want this person. And so I get it if they're not always selling early and, and, and there's always a delicate balance. If you don't want a client that's just selling and selling because then candidates are like, why is that so easy? Well, no one go, you know, so you can't oversell either, but there's definitely that dial that's flips when the candidate's like, okay, you want me. 
and I'm busy and I don't need to leave and I have other things I'm looking at. And they're not, you know, they're not wrong and they're usually not that aggressive about it, but that's what I'm thinking. And so there's a lot we can do and we can change the process, right? If the candidate's like, I need to meet the CEO because I'm meeting the CEO at the other company. Well, let's, let's make it happen, right? Let's ask, Hey, can they meet the CEO? That sort of thing. So yeah, there's, there's a lot I do on the client side too. I think that's so critical. Um, you know, even just, as you say, like letting them know what the candidate is, why the candidate is interested in this role, um, any reservations they had or any concerns that they had that would need to be answered, like what they're looking for in terms of comp, what else they have going on, what are the key things that, you know, uh, of the can- that the client can offer that are most important to that candidate and so on. I, I just think it's so important. What do you do though, Somer, in those cases where the client just sucks at, you know, interviewing and, and selling the, the, the opportunity? Mm-hmm. Do you just not take them on as clients or do you coach them or like, what, what do you think? Well, yeah, you don't know until you're in it. Right. So it's, yeah. it's a little, a little too late then, but yeah, I probably wouldn't, wouldn't work with them well, you too can much get a preview Because but... when you're taking the brief, you can say, so like, What's awesome about this role? Why should somebody quit their job mm-hmm. where they're performing well and they're well, you know, established and come and join you? Mm-hmm. So you can test them and see how they answer. But you're right. You don't really know yeah. until you're in the process. Yeah. Now, I will, I'll help the client. You know, I had a, a VP of engineering mm-hmm. search last year and the candidate had been a CTO before, you know, the top tech role. So he's interviewing with the CTO to be the VP and... He was more senior than the hiring manager, but he was so into the company. There are a lot of good reasons to join. And at the end, you know, when we're getting toward the end of the process, he's thinking, well, what's my job versus your job? And like, how is this dynamic going to work? Like between you and me, like I've, I've had your job before and I don't really get like, what will you be doing once I join since I can do all those things? And so I just talked to the client and said, look, here's how he feels you need to have this conversation. Like, what are your dynamics going to be? What's your job versus his job? You know, all those sorts of things. And so just really helping the client, like they can have that, that conversation, but they just need to know specifically what to say versus, Hey, sell this guy, you know, or, or talk about, talk about your growth trajectory. Talk about what's so great about your company. Like we've done that. Like now it's like really specific questions. Mm. And so there's just a lot to really get to on the candidate side that you can just spoon feed the client and and it's helpful. Absolutely. What you just made me think of is that the candidate will usually be much more forthcoming and candid with you, the recruiter, than they will with the client. Yes. So that is your one of the you know insight and the value that you bring to the relationship from the client's point of view is you know what the candidate is actually thinking and feeling and you can you use that information to help the client to, you know, to, to land the, the candidate that they really want. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Mert, I, I, I do want to ask you about your, your book. What, I mean, I can see it just what an enormous amount of work went into this is so, so good. And I was surprised, like, it's not that I doubted you, but I was surprised when <laughs> I got you. it, actually. Like, this is, this is a real book. This is no, like, I was surprised, too. I was like, I like this book. <laughs> Yeah. What (laughs) possessed you to do that? Yeah. So yeah, I launched my firm in March, 2020. All my momentum vanished. I had 
zero clients for a good, I don't know, six plus months. It was crazy. And so like, what am I going to do? And so I just started as, as you know, me, right. I was like reaching out to people saying, Hey, let's just catch up. I launched my firm. Want to chat about my website. Want to chat about this. I want to know if, when things pick up, what you want to be thought of for. I want you to be on my radar. Let's just have a conversation. And so I just booked my calendar with tons of chats. And it was really the first time I didn't have all this time pressure, revenue pressure, all this kind of pressure. So I was just talking to people and people were just really, really frustrated with executive search and with recruiters in general. And just a lot of questions too, just a lot of, you know, why am I not getting feedback? That's so incredibly frustrating. How am I not getting past these recruiters? Why are the clients not even seeing me? Or, Hey, can you just send my resume out for me? Like to all of your clients or I haven't looked for 15 years. I don't know people. I don't know exact search people. Like, what do I even do now? And just a lot of this stuff. And so I just started posting on LinkedIn and I just eventually thought there was a book in there. And so that's, that's how that happened. And I wrote it really quickly on my own. And it was, it was just a big, long blog post. It was, it was just myself, fragment sentences, just talking like, you know, just typing as I talk kind of thing. And it was, it was pretty bad. (laughs) And so I eventually signed up for a um, a course that's affiliated with Georgetown called the Creator Institute. And there's a cohort of folks and they really help you bring your book to life. And they have a hybrid publisher, New Degree Press. And so that was a lot of work, a lot of deadlines, a lot of making it a real book. But yeah, so here it is. Amazing. And so like the title explains demystifying exec search is really explaining what we actually do to candidates because there's... A lot of times they don't really understand our role, how, you know, how it all works, mm-hmm. how, how they can get the most out of this relationship and, and so on. And it really just breaks, breaks that all down. So, and plus like BD without doing BD, this is such a great marketing tool for you now. Like, have you been sending this out to all your clients and your prospects or? I will. It was just the baby came a week after the book. Oh, and of course, so right. My life just became insane. <laughs> and yeah. So now that I'm I've been back at work for a couple of weeks, I'm I'm in my head, I'm like, oh, I should have sent this out to all my clients, shouldn't I? Oh well, I had more important things to do. But I will. I you will. definitely did. More important like baby comes top of the list for sure. <laughs> yeah. Um but I yeah and like just I think I you you I was so touched that you signed it and you wrote a nice little note. I think if you're sending someone a copy of a book you wrote with a personal mm-hmm. note, I can't think of a better marketing strategy than that. That's um it's pretty you cool. Know, yeah. It is really cool. So one final question, which is you have a degree in economics from Tufts mm-hmm. University. What's your take on the current market? <laughs> Nothing to do with my degree. I mean, that was that was 20 years ago. <laughs> but uh, well, I guess by the way, reason I framed the question that way yeah. is because, you know, you have maybe a better chance of understanding what's happening than an average person if you've studied economics. I guess that's what I was thinking. Maybe, maybe. I just like math and I figured that was a, that was a good, it looked good, right? But uh, I think it's a confusing market, you know, and, mm. and my opinion's based on talking to candidates every day and their experiences are vastly different from each other. And it really depends on who you talk to. And I think that's why, you know, you see on LinkedIn, layoff, 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 
Then you talk to certain candidates. They're like, the job market's terrible. Then you talk to other candidates. They're like, I have so many interviews happening. And then other folks are, you know, my company just let go our whole innovation team. Or So there's a lot of just confusion and different stories happening. But I think the common thread I've found through all the conversations is that the candidates are telling me that the, the quote, boring companies are the ones that are doing really well. And they're the companies that are established. They've been around for a long time and they need to transform. And so they need the right people and leadership roles to really go digital or do more with data or whatever their agenda is. And so maybe it's not, not all the, uh, the glitz and glamour, but it's kind of, it kind of goes back to why I don't always say the company name in my outreach, because maybe these companies are ones that like on the surface, you're like, eh, I don't know about that company. But if you talk and you think, and you're like, oh, wow, that company, like the scale and the stuff they're doing, like if they could get this right, that's really cool. You know? So there's a lot of that happening. Um, and I have talked to some candidates recently. I don't do a lot of work with like the VCPE startup space. I don't do a ton in that space, but they're telling me that it's picking up again. So we'll see, right? We'll see. But I'm I'm optimistic more than uh, than pessimistic at this point. Fantastic, Somer. Well, uh, this was awesome. Thank you for coming on the show. And uh, I look forward to catching up with you again soon. Sounds like a good plan. You too. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening to The Resilient Recruiter. If you've enjoyed the show, the best way you can show your support is to click that subscribe button. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.